Hello, and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. Together, we are bringing you ideas about education, entrepreneurship, and relationships that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. And make sure you give us a review or a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Sharon Wolf. Sharon is a Canadian, is Canadian born, but has spent over three decades traveling and living in various countries. She's had a diverse career path, starting as a systems design engineer, where she gained analytical and troubleshooting skills. However, her interest in the human body led her to a complete to complete a doctorate in applied health sciences, specializing in human movement. She spent many years as an academic, teaching, speaking, and conducting research, which helped her develop skills in scientific writing and interpretation. Due to a chronic workplace stress, she had to leave her academic career and became interested in functional medicine, where the focus is on identifying and addressing the root causes of the disorders. She became certified as a human health coach and later as a functional medicine health coach, specializing in autoimmune disorders. She became the Hashimoto health coach to help those with autoimmune disorders, particularly Hashimoto's thyroiditis, to identify and address the root cause of their disorders. In her spare time, Sharon enjoys kayaking, trekking in the mountains, and she is passionate about wildlife and hopes to see a kiwi in the wild someday. Sharon, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Should we be calling you Dr. Sharon? No, just call me Sharon. That's fine. All right. And uh, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to join you. Yeah, I like that last couple of lines. You like kayaking and want to see a kiwi in the wild. You know, I see them in the grocery stores all the time, the little fuzzy fruit. I am kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. No, the last time I, I see lots of those in the wild. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little feathery ones that uh, I haven't seen yet. So more elusive. Yeah, I want to see those and the kakapoo at the same time. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, which means you've got to come to New Zealand too. To yeah. See that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, we well, wanted to travel over there. We just don't have it on our plans yet, but hopefully soon. <laughs> that, good, good. So we actually met on a previous engagement, the Health Wealth Wisdom Summit, and we had a wonderful conversation. And we um, wanted Sharon to come in and join us with our Bringing Education Home podcast because she had some really great information. And then we had a really wonderful discussion about how some of these immune system malfunctions or diseases really impact the families as well. So Sharon, thank you for coming and go ahead and start with a little bit about, um, you know, how do maybe people know, how did you know that you had this autoimmune and kind of the steps that kind of let people know that there's something that they really need to check into a little bit deeper? Well, my path was maybe slightly different from, from what my usual clients are. Uh, I actually didn't have an autoimmune disorder. I had a, a thyroid disorder that fortunately I was able to deal with before it developed any further. Okay. But still, I was I was really in the dark. Um, I basically what it hit me is because of the work workplace stress that I had been under, mm -hmm. um, it exacerbated things like uh, anxiety. And it wasn't until I was having problems sleeping that I said, "Okay, well, I I've got to go." have a chat with some people. And I, I was pretty sure it was stress related. So I went to see a couple of different practitioners or actually um, uh, HR counselors mm -hmm. and both of them focused on the anxiety and said, okay, we think that you need to be on medication to control uh -huh. it. And because 
well, I think I was too sleep deprived and too anxious to actually ask any pertinent questions. Right. Uh, and I heard it from two different people that I decided to, okay, let's have a chat with my GP. Right. And um, she said, okay, well, we'll put you on some medication, but let's make sure we monitor you. Now, at no time did anyone ever talk about addressing, you know, kind of the elephant in the room sort of thing, what was causing it. And that was, right. that, that was the stress. Mm-hmm. So hopefully not to make this story go on forever and ever. I was on the medication, yet it dealt with my anxiety. I wasn't feeling anxious, but I wasn't feeling anything at all. I was an emotional zombie exactly. for quite a, quite a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, which almost always happens when you only deal with a symptom and not the root cause, is something else comes up. And in this case, it was this absolutely crushing fatigue where I couldn't, uh, honestly, I was sleeping 18 hours a day, which after a whole week, almost two weeks of going into work, falling asleep at my desk, literally Uh dragging myself home at lunchtime, sleeping, getting up to eat, sleeping, getting up, go to work, repeat. Wow. And it really scared me because this, it happened quite suddenly and um, went in to see my doctor and they found my cortisol levels were just off the charts. Uh Now, this is what the medication I had thought was supposed to do. It was supposed to control this. Well, what it did was just um, put a Band-Aid on so I didn't perceive what was going on. But, you know, it was going on in my body. And this is this is what happens. And that's probably the thing in the back of my mind started driving me towards. Honestly, there's a real problem with our entire health system. Yes. If it doesn't address what the root cause is, then people are just going to get sicker. And and in to a certain degree, I can I can understand it because we've been we've been almost educated to believe that mm-hmm. take the easy way out, take the pill, and you'll get better. And you know, we're finding out, especially with chronic disorders and autoimmune disorders, that this just isn't going to work. Right. And uh, so that was my, I mean, I was lucky. And that was one of the things that drove me to be a health coach because, well, I ended up leaving, leaving uh-huh. my career and my job and trying to figure out what else I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'm actually really, really lucky because I've got the opportunity and I've got the resources behind me to kind of sit, take some time off and figure out what I want to do next. And I know probably 99% of the population doesn't have. doesn't doesn't have that they, they don't have the support they don't have the resources and so that was kind of the the, the driving thing behind what I wanted to do is that recognition of how lucky I was and let's see if we can make things a little bit easier but it you know you're up against an entire medical system that doesn't really understand how to deal with chronic disorders like acute disorders fabulous I want to be around doctors, hospitals, when I have something acute happening, because that's what they shine on. But chronic disorders, and especially autoimmune disorders, because that is just not being addressed. And unfortunately, the number of people that are that are being um, impacted by immune problems because of our increasing toxic, stressy world uh, is just going to start to skyrocket and more and more people are going to be in this situation. So uh, Anyways, I guess what the message that I want to tell people is that, yes, you can do something about it. And 
Honestly, I was having a discussion with a potential client um, two days ago and she's been diagnosed with Hashimoto's and her doctor said, well, yeah, your antibodies, like your thyroid antibodies, which is one of the, the key diagnostic tools is measuring that, said, well, no, they're never gonna go down. And she was absolutely shocked when I said, well, yes, if you address the root cause, they are gonna come down and you will heal. But she'd never been told that. She just assumed that she had it, she's going to have this forever. Yeah, um, and it's just so important because I mean, if any big issue, whether it's a parent issue, a child issue, a parent of a parent issue, an older person, you know, you want to look at yeah, those yeah. root causes and see if there's something underneath there. Um, we've both had our own health journeys and trying to figure out how to make things better. And each time it was back down to the roots, the basics, the what are you eating? How much are you sleeping? Are you really taking care of yourself the best you can? that doesn't make these things get worse. Yeah, so the, the term for, the, for modern um, Western doctors is, is allopathic medicine. Yeah. So that, that's just a little thing out there because most people, because I'm going to say that word a couple of times and most people don't know what it means. So if I'm talking about an allopathic doctor, that's, that's the current kind of system that we have in the United States. And you become a functional doctor or a, a functional coach, which actually goes and looks deeper at the issues. So I went to my allopathic doctor and with a host of issues and she went through my blood work and says, oh, everything looks great. You're as healthy as a horse. You, only, you just need more vitamin D. And I'm like, that, that is so not going to do it. So, and again, what you said is, is the allopathic doctors, if you have an acute like if you break an arm, if you get cancer, you have appendicitis, you have appendicitis. Yeah. we have, those are the absolute best doctors in the world to go to here in America. But again, they're not taught to look at chronic things. And so again, the pills, it's like, oh, take this, you'll feel better. Oh, take this. But you might feel better for a little while. But again, if you don't address the problem, yeah. which is something that I had to learn and what we do in, in my being true to you coaching is the problem is very is very often not the problem that right. what people think if as the problem is actually a symptom yeah. of the actual problem that you're having and so you know for for our parents out there if you are if you think you have a problem don't don't go looking for the solution to that problem go looking for the root cause for that problem and that's kind of what we're talking about now yeah yeah that's that's really well said uh and it's hard to kind of get it through people because we've been through this system now where you, know, you go to your doctor's office and you've got a 15 or 20 minute appointment. Yeah. Well, 15 or 20 minutes is not anywhere near enough to try and delve in to try and figure out where all the bits and pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, even reading uh, and analyzing blood test results, wow. uh, for me to look at that, which is one of the key things I do with my clients is uh, I actually use different reference ranges than the labs and other doctors do. That can take me uh, two or three hours mm -hmm. to look at the interconnectedness between the systems because your body, you know, your liver doesn't function different and apart from your digestive system. And just as an example, everything is interconnected. So what is affecting one thing is going to have repercussions throughout the rest of the body. And you know, if you get involved with problems with hormones, then that is definitely affecting every other part of your body. 
Um, yeah, and on with, both sides in, you know, in the men and the women, their hormones have to be in a certain level or else it's wonky. Yeah. Yeah. And what's affecting one hormone is going to affect all other hormones too. It's like, a, uh, we generally refer to it, not like scientifically, but as hormone soup. Okay. Uh, so when you're trying to sort something out, it, it takes a little bit of time and some, sometimes some trial and error to try and figure out, well, what caused what, because there's so much interconnection there, mm -hmm. but it just, you know, the take home messages is like Herbie, you're saying is that you've got to delve deeper into what is actually causing the, the symptom. And sometimes it's even the symptom below the symptom, mm -hmm. you know, in order. So the, I mean, the pathway or the strategy is actually quite simple. Mm -hmm. Um, implementing it is not right okay there's a difference between being something being simple and something being easy to do because if we've got to improve the whole environment that our body gets to operate in as as you mentioned earlier it says we've got to look at our diet we've got to look at our our lifestyle and that means changing habits that we've had for quite a while and that's probably the hardest thing to do is to try and get rid of a bad habit and trying to create a new habit especially when you're in a family situation where your habits are going to be directed or impacted by, you know, everyone else in the, in the family. Exactly. And yes. It, it's not to say that it's this totally intractable problem, but it just means these are the things that you actually have to, to look at. And, and, prop, and I think, especially what I've found with some of my clients with Hashimoto's is that a lot of the, their family, like their, especially their, their partner, um, if they have younger kids, well, that's understandable that they're not going to understand what's going on. Right, the littles, yeah. Because the, sometimes the symptoms seem all over the place, like the fatigue, the weight gain, the hair loss, the brain fog in particular. And you can't really put, a lot of times you can't initially put a finger on and say, well, this is what the problem is. You know, yeah. someone say, well, we'll just get enough, get more sleep or you know, pull yourself together. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a whole lot of empathy or understanding with what's going on or how badly this is impacting someone. Um, and if you're, you know, you're involved in running, you know, helping to run a family uh, with meals and activities and stuff that uh, honestly, that's an overwhelming job to begin with, but to do it when, when you're, you've got that kind of, those kind of symptoms too. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, uh, it's kind of a, a scary thought, and I don't mean to really, really scare people too much, but the research is showing and the data is showing that if you have one autoimmune condition, you've got at least a 30% chance of developing yet another autoimmune decision mm -hmm. on top of that. Yeah. And that's because the root causes are, are all the same. Yeah. So, it makes uh, sense. Yes. And you, you yeah. think about children, you know, the kind of one allergy and then kind of another allergy is kind of those same kind of connections kind of things. Or if your child starts getting sick then something else kind of, so yeah, really looking at those root causes to see if more than one thing can get under control too. Yeah. And the thing, especially with childhood allergies in that, uh, there's so much conflicting evidence on how to try and deal with that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and of course, a lot of things when children are really, really small and they're developing, well, not so much a virus, but they're sick for something, uh, that the immediate thing is to give them antibiotics. 
And, you know, I can understand that you've got a sick child, you want, you want them to be healed and healthy as soon as possible, because, you know, they're so defenseless and vulnerable. The problem is that by giving children antibiotics so early, uh, they are trying to develop their own microbiome, their own gut bacteria and the balance in that. And you can just wipe that out when they're that young. And it's really, really very, very difficult for them to develop that. And if at that young age, you've already got a problem with your gut bacteria, you're almost guaranteed to be developing. I mean, that's the start of the development of all kinds of chronic disorders afterwards. Um, I think more families need to learn about that gut bacteria, that good the good stuff that's in us that helps us be healthy because you know we we have we've cleaned and sterilized so many things anymore that you know how do you get exposed to a lot of those things now yeah and there's the question of well how how soon do you expose them i mean we've seen some of the older data that said that kids that grow up on farms are generally healthier they've got a healthier microbiome because they've been exposed to uh Mm -hmm. what normally you know, people who are city raised would say, oh my God, that's just, you're exposing to them so much dirt and germs and, and, and all that. And I said, well, that's the one thing that actually helps them develop the, you know, the protection against that, that later on. So again, we see what's going on with, um, with manufacturing or a lot of the products, especially household cleaning products where they say, well, yes, you're going to get rid of 99.9% of all the germs. Well, you got to think not all germs are bad for us. Mm-hmm. You know, not all bacteria is, is bad yeah. for us. And yeah. um, like, that's not to say we should be, you know, licking, you know, fence posts and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Those farm kids probably. Do. <laughs> probably, probably no, just did, kidding. Yeah. I grew up on a farm. I'm speaking for myself here. We were exposed to all sorts of, of dirt and dust. Animals and, and animals everything. And yeah. And farm equipment. And, and yeah. you know, if you had bicycles and toys, you, there's many times you, you ate your bike. It, it, parts of your toys ended up in your mouth, whether you wanted to or not, because it's like whether it was on purpose or not. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, when we look at what we do to our house, we're, I mean, okay, yes, go ahead and, and try and keep a, a clean house, but what are you cleaning it with? Yes. What kind of chemicals are you now introducing into your house that are actually going to be worse yeah. on you than the germs that you're trying to get rid of? Right. Um, and we're not, being, we're not being aware of this. So even things like personal care products, Mm-hmm. the amount of chemicals in that yeah. and we're kind of led to believe well it's safe if if it wasn't safe well they wouldn't be able to manufacture it themselves wouldn't be able to be on the shelf right yeah 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 when most stuff is not being tested they when they test for um problems they test for acute reactions mm-hmm. okay so if something has an acute reaction, then what they'll do is they, they will reformulate and right. before it can kind of pass FDA or, or whatever approvals. But none of the tests look at cumulative results. Long-term. So o- o- long-term over time. Right. And that's where we get lulled into some very 
just being very complacent about the things that we look in the supermarket, we figure, oh, it's say it's you know it's there for us to buy. It must be safe when that can't be further from the truth. And I think maybe 40 or 50 years from now, I'm going to look back and people are just going to be astounded at, at how laissez-faire we were about about the poisons they, we put in our house. Yeah, exactly. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I go through with my clients as we go through and say, okay, well, here's a, give me a list of your personal care products. What do you use to clean the house? Well, let's swap those over and find something that is going to be um, a whole lot less toxic. Yeah. So it's not just yourself, it's for the rest of the family uh, as well to get some of the and of course, that opens up a, another huge area on things that we don't necessarily have direct control over, and that are things like wide use of pesticides, mm -hmm. herbicides, because um, what's ever in the plants or what's ever into, in the ground yep. is actually going to make its way into, into our food system, whether our, you know, the cows and pigs and chickens and that are eating that. Well, whatever they're eating, we end up eating. Yeah. So, and that's a little bit harder to control, right. to know kind of, well, where did these come from? How are they raised? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a lot of times that's really beyond the control of a lot of people. Right. Especially those who maybe aren't, you know, out in a local area where you can go get eggs from somebody or go find a local farmer or something to get some vegetables or something that you, that might be a little bit more wholesome. You know, if you're in town, you really do have less control over that. And, you know, yeah. we are kind of tenderfooting around the, the biggest issue, which is also the most simplest to fix, but also, like you said, it is so not easy. And that is actually what goes in your mouth. So mm -hmm. the foods that you eat. So like so many immune problems are actually because of the way and the and the foods that you eat causing issues inside of you. Mm -hmm. So, mm. you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, and a lot of, again, because we, well, let me let me go back a bit. Um, one of the things, and this is not just for um, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's and that, uh, probably our biggest medical issue right now is the huge number of people with type 2 diabetes, Yes, which is a lifestyle. Yeah. Definitely, it's just a lifestyle mm -hmm. issue. And it's because we're consuming too much, I was going to say sugar, it isn't just too much sugar, it's too much sweetener yeah of any kind in a lot of cases sugar has been you know demonized here well it's not where the source of the sweetness comes from which is usually the problem it's how much how much exactly and, and so the average person in western countries is probably eating 17 to 18 teaspoons of sugar a day now i mean you would be horrified if you laid out 18 teaspoons of sugar in front of you, put it into a pile and realize, oh my God, that's how much I'm eating today. Yeah. But it's disguised as all kinds of other things. So it, in a lot of cases, it's not so much um, white sugar that we're consuming. It's things like corn syrup, mm -hmm. high fructose corn syrup, because that's in practically everything because it's cheap for manufacturers to put in. And that is just as deadly as, as just, you know, eating sugar. 
Yeah. Um, so there is that. Now, the other source is not so much sugar sweetened. So that's products that are already kind of pre-sweetened, mm -hmm. which most of our processed food is. Right. It's also the type of food that we're eating. So if you look at foods, I kind of uh, look at carbohydrates and classify them as being low glycemic and high glycemic, which is just a fancy term for, for how fast they are digested into glucose. So all carbohydrates will break down into glucose. So a simple sugar. And a lot of our processed food, a lot of our comfort food, kind of our yummy food, uh, is all high glycemic. And so we eat a lot of that and we spike our blood sugar. So it goes into our blood sugar, our, 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 into our bloodstream. And then our body does what it's supposed to be doing because it can't stay there. It has to take it out because that's really, really inflammatory. So the body secretes insulin, another hormone that right. grabs the sugar out of the bloodstream and then goes to store it. So stores it as fat in the fat cells for use afterwards, usually what happens, it just stays there and we keep getting fatter and fatter. Yeah. Um, over time, we have a problem with just producing either enough insulin or the body becoming um, uh, less receptive yeah. to the amount of insulin that's able to do that. And that's the start of metabolic syndrome and then slowly developing into prediabetes and then into full-blown diabetes. And that is all, that's a voluntary, we voluntarily developed diabetes just because we're eating. Now, a lot of it, I think, is education. Mm -hmm. um, because I said, uh, we went for a long time saying, well, just stop eating so much white sugar. Okay, so what did we replace it with? Well, corn syrup, maple syrup, agave. Yeah. They're just as, just as bad. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or honey, yeah. And you think, oh, well, honey's natural. That must be really good for it. And it kind of would pour it all over our pancakes sort of thing. Not quite as, <laughs> not like no. overdo it. Everything in like moderation or small amounts, right? It's like. Yeah, or slowly reduce how sweet you need your food to be. Right. You know, after a while, if you kind of slowly reduce the amount of sugar you put over on anything, then things like carrots all of a sudden start to taste sweet again. That was the amazing thing. We both went through an elimination diet. And when we got on the other side, after we'd taken everything out and we had only eaten meat and fruits and vegetables, right? So I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell on her. I'm horrible. So uh, I, I, went on, I went on the elimination diet years before you, she did. Yes, she did. So I actually got really overweight. I've lost over a hundred pounds. So I've been through it. My I, I remember when I went into my doctor, couldn't sit still, was in a lot of pain, the brain fog. And I was telling her how it's like, I will do anything you want. Just don't take my bread away because it's the oh, only no. thing I can eat anymore. It's like my stomach hurts all the time and just eating makes me feel bad. So all I can do is like squish my bread into little tiny tight balls and eat it. And it's the only way I could eat. And I remember looking at her when I was telling her this and she kind of looked like you did. And I looked mm -hmm. at her as like, oh, damn, you're going to take my bread away, aren't you? And she goes, yeah, but we'll work into it in a few weeks. Okay. I went home and that was, I stopped eating bread like right then and there. Yeah. Um, and wow, what a difference that makes. I am, it, it was for me, it was not the gluten. It was mm -hmm. the, it was the highly refined flour. 
So yeah. um, I, I'm not gluten sensitive. I'm not allergic to gluten. I know a lot of people go that route, but I had to leave bread because of the highly refined nature of the flour was going into my gut and opening little holes. And, and it was a superfood. Your body's not designed for it to be going in like that. And so I was having a lot of problems with bread. And once I got out of bread, then dropping all the rest of the sugars became easy. Easier, I got on an elimination easier. diet yeah. and I became absolutely amazed at how wonderful real food started tasting. Yeah, that's actually, that's an amazing journey that you went on. And, and I think, um, honestly, just I'm in awe that you're able to make those those changes because so many people would have just said too hard basket give me I, I was almost dead I I, I yeah, had to yeah. do something so my I was in a sense of desperation my life had to change mm -hmm. so she I, I I was able to like make huge lifestyle changes at the drop of a dime at that time mm -hmm. now that I'm a little healthier those lifestyle changes are are yeah. a little harder to make yeah, and they kind of wobble a little bit but man, when I was yeah. hurt and I was desperate, it was like, yeah, okay, I understand, gone. Okay, yeah, I understand changing this. Okay, I'm understand changing that. Mm -hmm. So I like, she, my doctor had never seen anybody commit like I had before. Mm -hmm. So I know I'm kind of a rare case. Yeah. So let's um, talk about how to help our families and help our people who are looking at some of these changes. You know, some people can do it all at once or really fast. Other people like me, very slow and it's really, really tough. Can you give us a few things that you give your clients to do to just make those little changes at a time? Yeah. So one of the things, especially with, with diet, so uh, kind of like what the uh, first thing that, you know, your doctor would have told you is to give up bread. That's one of the first things with the Hashimoto's clients. Uh, and it's because of the effect that that bread or some of the substances in bread, whether it's, it's embedded in the gluten or whatever, causes the gut lining to become more permeable. So it's what we call leaky gut. And that's one of the key things that's going to cause an autoimmune condition. So you have to do everything you can to heal the gut. Mm -hmm. So part of that is, yes, you gotta, you've got to give up anything that has gluten in it. So anything that has wheat in it, uh, that might be contaminated with, with wheat. And that is huge because it is in so many things. It's not just bread and pastries yeah. and cereals. Um, it's kind of all the yummy things that's going to have that. It's actually in a lot of our sauces. It's even in some ice cream. Uh -huh. um, some spices. So when you go through this, when I go through the spice rack, rack I have to go through and, and yep. you know the words that, that they hide it under as well. So it's not just wheat. You know, there's, there's, other, yeah. there's other hidden words that they hide stuff under. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's trying to get people to realize that, okay, you're going to have to start reading the ingredient lists on everything that you, that you eat, but getting back to that can be really overwhelming. And that's a, that's the thing, giving that up can be one of the, the hardest things. So we try and ease into it and say, okay, well, what are some things that you can swap it out with? Right. So let's go step-by-step. Step. So some of the things like instead of having um, like a regular sandwich for lunch every day, well, deconstruct it. Okay. Or swap out uh, instead of having the bread, have it on, on some lettuce. Mm -hmm. So roll it up in a lettuce or something. Um, now I've had to go gluten-free myself because I discovered I had a gluten sensitivity. 
Um, so I will occasionally as a treat get real corn tortillas. Right. And so there's no wheat in it. Now they they are still high glycemic, but at least every once in a while I can use one of those as a treat and use that as a wrap. I can use it as a pizza base um, so that I'm still kind of eating some of the, my, my treasured favorite foods, exactly. but, but at least dealing with the gluten. Um, and this is something else that some people can also be gluten sensitive, which I found out after I had done an elimination cleanse for a couple of weeks. And then I decided uh, when I finally finished, time to celebrate, let's pop open a beer. And I had the worst reaction. The next two days for one beer was oh like the worst hangover I had had lasted two days. I said, hmm, this is a little unusual. Uh, so once things had come back to normal, I said, well, let's just try some toast. And I tried some toast, same reaction. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I just discovered that. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the crazy things about once you get this out of your system. So most people are sick and they got there so slowly, so slowly that they don't realize how much these foods are hurting them. They they adapt. Yeah. And so once they clean out the system and they get rid of it and then they have that, which causes that. And it like goes from zero to a hundred all at once are like, I felt like this for years, not knowing about it. And then I got it out of my system and I felt better. And now when I feel that way again, it's like so obvious. So it's really, that, that's one of the scary parts when you start talking to this about people is like, oh, I'm going to lose my foods. It's like, but you're going to want to lose them eventually. You're going to like, you're going to feel so much better. Yeah, uh, uh, eventually. And what's really interesting when, because um, I, I know that as a guest, I'm a real pain to have to cook for because gluten-free and semi-vegetarian and I've had a couple of friends say, well, why don't you just start reintroducing some of this stuff slowly so that you will adapt to it? Yeah, the body doesn't really work that way. You're going to start, all it means is that you're going to gradually start feeling crappy. You're just going to do it really slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So why would I want to go back to that when all I have to give up is a certain type of food, which really isn't that much of an issue anymore. And luckily, sorry. sorry. Luckily, there have been so many improvements, though, in a lot of areas. I mean, you there's the different flowers and stuff now that yeah. almost taste like the old way. So you can you can have some of those treats in moderation with the newer ingredients that aren't you know hurting you near as bad. And you can have some of those treats once in a while. Yes. Being careful, though, that uh, right. because I was just going through the gluten free aisle yesterday in the grocery store and said, yes, you can get all kinds of gluten free cookies and stuff. Well, okay, they don't have gluten in it, but they are just laden with sugar. So they're, yeah. And this is something people will say. I said, well, okay, well, I'll, they think it's a zero sum game Mm -hmm. on how you're, how you're eating. So, okay, if I'm really good in this area, it means I can treat myself over here. The body doesn't operate that way. Um, Sugar is going to operate differently in the body than gluten does. So um, it's not like you're averaging out on a better level. It's you just got different things happening to you. So uh, and so that's where a little bit of education will go a long way. But that's probably the first thing is getting people to realize to find out what how how comfortable you are. What is your speed at making some of these changes and these habits? 
And the other thing is helping you keep to the habit. So um, if you've got a problem where you are eating too much sweet stuff, make it harder to access it. So either I, uh, that's one of my downfalls, I don't buy it. So if I start having some cravings, it's not in the house, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, have other things, the healthy snacks readily available. So, you know, get your carrots, carrots, celery sticks or whatever, pre-chop them up. So they're just sitting, sitting in the fridge waiting for you, right. you know? So if you have those cravings, so just make it easier to develop that habit. So sometimes it takes a bit of reflection to figure out, okay, well, why am I going this way as opposed to this way? What's going to make it easier for me to make the, the healthier choice? And it takes a little bit of planning to, to do that. So those are, um, and sometimes it's just step by step. Um, and there's something called um, habit stacking. So okay. that when you have one habit that you do might lead you more readily to do the to do the next habit. I'll uh -huh. give you an example. Um, I try and do my seven minute workout every day. That's almost sad to say that I actually have to schedule it because it doesn't come naturally yet. Um, but I said, oh yeah. So I say, okay, you can't do your seven minute workout until, sorry, you can't have your, your morning coffee until you've done your second, your seven minute workout. There you okay? go. So it's kind of, you know, you've got the treat at the end, you just get into it and after a while it just becomes, becomes a habit or some way to link your habits together so that you're more likely to take that other next step. Yeah. So sometimes it's breaking things down into smaller steps first mm -hmm. in order to do it. But again, a lot of this, it takes a bit of time and reflection to kind of work out what's going to work best for you. Um, kind of being aware of what your circumstance. Hmm? This is actually one of the big things that we talk about with our parents in our school, because if it's hard for you, it's hard because you develop the habits and you've had the habits. And so if you, if you look at the diet of our children in school right now, there's so much sugar, there's so much bread, there's so much horrible stuff in the school. So getting your kids out of school and getting them on these habits earlier, getting them to like real food earlier, mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. and, and childhood obesity is a huge problem oh. right now as well. Yeah. And that just leads to all of these other autoimmune disorders. So, so the sooner you can get started with your children, the sooner you can get them eating healthy and use them as an excuse or a way to help you as well. Yeah. It's like, I need my kids healthy. So I'm going to eat the way I make them eat. So instead of have, forcing your kids to eat the way you do, oh, you got to have this. Do it, do it the other way. Use, hey, you're eating this, so I'm eating this and lead the way with your children. Yeah, it's just a way of kind of switching the perspective up a little bit. So again, uh, kind of developing why you want to do this. So, you know, again, a lot of us, well, we, we want our own health to be good. But in a lot of cases, the much bigger why is I want my kids to grow up healthy. I don't want them, I, I don't want them to develop sickness that was directly a relation to what, you know, my parenting has led me to. And just talking about childhood obesity so much, a lot of people seem to think that people are obese because they eat too much. And it's actually not the case at all. It's not how much you're eating, which can be, it can be a cause, 
but in a lot of cases, it's what you're eating. And it's a lot of this high glycemic yeah. foods, which is the, usually it's the cheapest, it's the easiest, it's the yummiest to put together. And those are the things that you're gonna find in the schools. Um, One of the things that always freaked me out was watching the kids get out of their parents' cars with Starbucks bottles and or and, and drinking yeah. like coffee or hot chocolate or whatever but you know those those little coffee things that that the kids are drinking now that is way too early for them to be putting again that much sugar that much caffeine all of those chemicals in so it's like but oh, wow. but the parents need it so yeah that that's like a disturbing trend that i see sometimes yeah well, well we, we see a 30 big gulp <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I see kind of walking around sometimes you'll see these these small kids that are barely able to toddle, uh, yet they're holding a, um, a pop bottle, a fizzy drink, and that's what they're, that's their fluid intake. Right. Uh, one of the things we noticed was a lot of the schools here is they have banned a lot of the soft drink machines from schools, uh -huh. and the only things that the kids can drink now are water, which I think such a, a huge development um, unfortunately what the kids usually do is we have a lot of corner dairies around the schools so they'll stop in there they'll fill up with their big pop bottles and their candies and stuff on the way to, to school oh no uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so it's uh, kind of self-defeating there and yeah. until we can get some kind of council regulations on how close some of these places can be to, to schools but a lot of it goes down to 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 parenting like why is your child craving all this stuff in right. the first place yeah, yeah. um that seems like i'm putting an awful lot of blame and pressure on parents when peer pressure is probably there as know, well yeah because yeah, if the kids well. are bringing their own healthy lunches to school then you know that's another reason that they could be teased but then again if if they're enjoying the food if and that's a way that you can, another habit that you can stack is, is having them build their lunch, having them help with that, mm -hmm. putting the snacks in that they know that they like, but, but in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And if you do that yeah. as a family, then it, then it can be a building experience instead of, instead of something your parents said, oh, look at the stuff that my mom sent me to school with, you know, make it part of all of that as a, as a healthy, fun thing to do in the morning. And I think that's absolutely right, uh, especially having the, the kids buy in because there's no sense, you know, providing them with a healthy lunch and then they get to school. And the first thing they do is they tip it into right. the garbage can and, yeah. you know, or try and swap it for something else. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, I, I think it's a brilliant idea there is to, yeah. and as for all meals is to try and get people to come together and actually that's just family community type thing there that uh, is another kind of huge side benefit mm -hmm. because if you've got people kind of working together to help put a meal together now it means that the meal's not always going to turn out the way you want it to be but is that more important than engaging with your with your kids or your your partner or whatever you can help um, reduce the stress and all of the stuff that we're talking about. Right, exactly. And that's what I was going to say yeah. is that, you know, trying to do something this big alone is really difficult. So bring the whole family in, you know, sit down, talk about it. How can we help each other? How can we work together to get all of this done? So all of us are healthier, all of us are happier. And then we actually end up having more time and more joy 
because we've done it together and things were taken care of quickly and we're not doing like five meals or something and you know then get get to go to something else yeah and sometimes it's just thinking outside the square on um like i've had some clients who are just so fatigued that the thought of making a meal that takes longer than 15 minutes after you've come home from work or whatever uh and i did that my myself i come home from work um is when I was still working at the university and I'd be exhausted. And so what came out? The frozen pizza. Exactly. You know, uh, until I realized, okay, I can't keep living on this. And said, oh, it just takes too much effort to cut, cut up vegetables for a stir fry. Well, lo and behold, the supermarket, you can buy pre-cut up vegetables. Um, and now we've got this whole industry that will provide but you don't even have to go to the grocery store. You can either order stuff and they'll have it delivered or you can go pick up everything for you. Yeah. You can pre-order healthier ready-made meals or just the ingredients along with the recipes. Honestly, having a meal plan by itself can cut so much stress right. because it's like, okay, I don't have to make the, another decision. The decision is made for me. Here is the recipe. Here is everything I need. I just have to put it together. And that's one thing right there is just putting together a meal plan. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it's just, it's organization. Organization, save yourself the time and having to make so many decisions at a time of the day when you're just not capable of making right. yet another decision. Yeah. Um, and those are, are key things. Uh, I think one of my favorite recipe books um, is Low Glycemic Meals in a Minute. So most of the recipes take less than 20 minutes, mm -hmm. but it does require that you plan things out a little bit. Right. Yeah. And that was the part, the first few chapters on organizing your kitchen, how to prepare some of the main parts of the meal. So it's just things like I had never thought of before. If you've got a chicken dish, uh -huh. um, poach the chicken, like the chicken that you're going to need for the next couple of days. And I thought, right. oh, poaching chicken, that looks absolutely awful. But if you're doing it in a stir fry, who cares? Right. You, you yeah. know, so you poach it and then you put it in a container. It'll stay in the fridge for two or three days. Yeah. And then all you have to do is chop it up, throw it in the stir fry or whatever meal that you're planning. You don't, it, it just cuts everything down. You don't have to have that extra stuff. Oh, I've got to cook this first. Um, too right have a pre yeah pre-cooked or pre-portioned yeah yeah or one of the other things is uh if you don't mind reheating the same meal or uh an actual fact i've heard of people coming together and they will make big big meals and mm -hmm. then divide it up into certain portions and then they will just swap among them so you're not eating the same thing over and over again i like that we need to have a neighborhood cooking swap <laughs> yeah now again something new neighborhood cooking swap <laughs> yeah uh now That's it's awesome. not to say that it could have some potential hiccups in it but yeah. it, at least those are the types of things that you need to start thinking to make your life just that yeah. little bit easier and it's these small steps that over time are are going to get you to make those those habit changes that and, and these again start going back to address the root cause yeah. so it's like the depression isn't the problem 
the diet is the problem. Let's fix the diet and then it'll start reducing the depression symptoms or the, or the anxiety, or the anxiety depressions yeah. or, or the appetitis, the, the, the exp expansion of the appetite. Yeah. So once you start eating the, the proper foods, then you actually become less hungry because your body is feeling nourished and you're not getting those, those cravings and those, the, the, the big appetite yeah. for, because it's like, oh, I need to get more and more because I'm missing something. Yeah. Now, one of the things that this will do is just finally trying to get the right environment for your body. It will start to heal, but sometimes it will need a little bit of help uh, if it needs to, the gut microbiome needs to be rebalanced. Uh, sometimes you're going to need to take specific types of probiotics. Mm -hmm. um, also to heal the gut, you might need to take some quite targeted supplements for a short period of time to help heal that. Right. Um, my idea is that except for a few, for a few exceptions, you shouldn't be taking um, supplements for a long period of yeah, time. A whole handful of something every day. Exactly. Now I'm, I'm totally on board with people taking a good quality multivitamin just because some of our food's not as nutritious as it used to be, has depleted soil issues. Um, vitamin D for most of us is always going to be an issue. Um, here in New Zealand, we don't have selenium in our soil. So we pretty much have to have a selenium supplement. Okay. It has to come from somewhere. Those are pretty much the exceptions right there. Uh, anything else you really shouldn't, you, you shouldn't have to take like you said, the handfuls of multi multivitamins. And there's lots of reasons for that because um, your food, the ingredients of phytonutrients and the many nutrients in your food work together. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how our bodies have developed over the eons. Multivitamins don't come that way. So yeah. they're not going to be as quite as effective. So my feeling is that you, you take a supplement for a reason. And once you've solved that issue, then you can stop taking it again. Right. Uh, so that's why it's it usually after you've done a lot of the foundational work, um, and that's what I kind of call the first steps to healing, then you actually might need some what we call some professional help in just deciding, okay, what else might be going on there? Like for a lot of people that might actually solve a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're finding is that most people will have what we call a, a genetic predisposition. So they have genetic variations. Uh, this doesn't mean that you have the genetic variation that's gonna cause your thyroid to go all wonky. It's a lot more subtle than that. It usually means that your body's having trouble either producing enough of an enzyme or perhaps it's producing too much of an enzyme that's actually kind of critical in one of the thousands of biochemical pathways that your body navigates every day. So that's why certain, certain chronic disorders run in families yep. uh, because of this genetic thing. Now, the great thing about that is this burgeoning uh, emerging field of epigenetics, which shows us how changes in our environment can actually change how, that, how our genes are being expressed. Nice. That's, yes. Uh, but one of the big genetic variations, let's see if I can remember the MTHFR gene. <laughs> yeah. And that is absolutely necessary in the methylation and the eventual 
metabolizing. So kind of excreting out, breaking down certain hormones like yeah. estrogen. Mm -hmm. And if you have that, then you are going to need some extra help. And usually it's getting B vitamins. So you're going to need some extra help with that. Uh, yeah. So that's the kind of thing, but that has to be, you, you can't really just figure that out by yourself. In a lot of cases, you're going, right. to, you're yeah. going to need some help with that one. Just like with all of our kids and everything, you know, you do your best to figure out what's going on and store and shore them up with the stuff that you can do yourself. But then eventually you'll either want a second opinion or you'll need some extra coaching help to help finish the process or get things figured out that you can't quite figure out. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's why we have so many people in our lives around us to help us figure those things out. And there's coaches, there's specialists, there's people who can help you get to that process and get to the end. And the earlier you can find out if you have that MTHFR genetic sequence, the better, because um, that makes you highly susceptible to aluminum. And so I had to get rid of all of the aluminum. No, I don't drink out of aluminum cans. I don't use aluminum foil. I don't cook in aluminum anymore. And so many of our, of our vaccines anymore have a trace of aluminum in them to create a reaction that then the, that the body fights. And so weird fact is not everybody that, that has the MTFR gene has autism, but almost everybody that has that MTFR defect or almost all, all autistic people have that have MTHR that defect. defect. So um, so highly critical to get that figured out. out early. And then if they do have that, to try and keep them away from vaccines as, as quick as possible or find alternatives that don't have that the, the aluminum component to them. Yeah. So just, you know, so, just weird brain stuff that I know because of how my yeah. of stuff I had to get through. Well, and it, it brings it down that, when it comes to autoimmune dis uh, disorders or probably any chronic disorder, it's personal. So it is a combination of your lifestyle, your habits over years, your genetic background, and all the permutations there that are going to cause that problem. So in order for an individual to heal, we have to look at the individual, look at their their whole health history, their lifestyle holistically and figure it out because what's going to work for one person is not going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's where, uh, that's where people get really frustrated because they will see the advertisements and how their friends said, Oh, well, this worked for me. And then they try it and it didn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And, um, it just, it's, and I get it. That's frustrating. You know, when you kind of put hopes on something, and you know it's not working, and then you just say, "Okay, this is this is the way it's going to be for the rest of lo my life." And well, no, it doesn't doesn't have to. Um, you know, honestly, this is a little bit of an aside, but it really hit me. There was an article in our newspaper last week about a woman who just built up her business. She was an entrepreneur. She built up her business. Uh, she discovered she had Hashimoto's, and it was this kind of crushing fatigue and brain fog that was affecting her. Yeah. Her doctor said, well, you're going to be on medication for the rest of your life and it's not going to go away. So she gave up her business. Oh my and God. I was just, I just found that heartbreaking. Yeah. That, you know, you work so hard, you know, as entrepreneurs, it is difficult in any case to build yes. up a successful business and then to be told that there was no hope in, in actually feeling better that other than taking the medication, which would have been supplemental thyroid medication, uh -huh. which again, deals with the symptom. It doesn't deal with the root cause. Yeah. Um, 
oh, I, I was heartbroken hearing about the misinformation that, that, that she was getting. So one of so, the other big takeaways from today is don't necessarily go with the first thing you hear about, you know, look deeper, look at other alternatives, see what else is out there. Ask questions, ask questions. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Because if your doctor's saying, well, here, you need to take this, this thyroid medication and ask, I said, well, is that going to help me with the root cause? How long? Right. This is a, this is an, an immune condition. How is that affecting my immune system? What can I do? And if they can't answer it, then try and find somebody who can. Yeah. Um, I know that there's not a lot of of functional medicine doctors out there yet uh -huh. um, but that would be the first stop or or someone who focuses uh, either a health coach in a lot of cases uh, this sounds like I'm I'm tutting my own horn here but uh, a health coach can spend a lot more time with you working one-on-one -on -one than your GP or your doctor will it's exactly. just the way our systems systems work yeah. so that's probably what my suggestion is to do. Excellent. Uh, I had a functional doctor and an allopathic doctor at the same time. And I mm -hmm. once made the mistake of saying, yeah, my functional doctor was talking about this in this chart. And my allopathic doctor said, well, you know what? You either need to go with her or you need to go with me because uh, that's not what we do. So I ended up leaving my allopathic doctor because it's like there was I didn't necessarily have an acute symptom so it's right. like and, and I and I went with the functional so and, and, it, and it changed my life so yeah. I I highly recommend looking up yeah looking up that yeah. kind of yeah and if you can't you know if you still not you just keep searching until you find the right person someone who's going to listen to you yes and be aware you know how like how it's impacting you I mean that was one of the things that are working with my clients is say, well, this is the first time that actually someone's listened to me and took my symptoms seriously. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that I found with uh, dealing with some of the allopathic doctors is when they look at your blood test results, in a lot of cases that your blood tests that are, they use as the one and only diagnostic tool for yeah. whether you've got Hashimoto's or almost any autoimmune condition. And they will look at, and in a lot of cases, the results are subclinical. So it means it hasn't reached that magic number where, you know, if you're just under your subclinical, if you're just over, then yes, that's, we can do something about that now. And, but the person said, I've got all these symptoms. And the doctor will say, well, you're subclinical. We have to wait until things get worse. I can't. Think of the number of my clients that have told me this exact story. Yes. And it's like they're paying so much attention to the blood test results that they're ignoring all of these symptoms that, and you know, you've got this, this poor person sitting there saying, well, how much worse do my symptoms have to get? Yeah. yeah. Before? And, and it's that, all done. Uh, me as a teacher, that is the one thing that totally crushed me every single time is that I would know a, a student was struggling. And over my years of experience, I knew if this child is struggling in this way, most likely there was a deeper issue. And I would take them to the specialist in the school and the specialist would say, they're not far enough behind yet. Let's Doesn't that drive you up. crazy? And I was like, no, you can't do this to these kids. You're crushing them before they even have a chance. Let's give them the extra help now 
so that they don't have to go to that crushing low spot. So I know exactly what you're saying. And it's one of those biggest things that, you know, I fought and fought. It's like, no, you don't understand. You're going to lose this child if you let them fail first. We need to. This whole issue of of prevention, prevention first. Yeah. But in this particular case with the blood test results, um, one of the things that I realized is that you know, when you're measuring things in the blood, the blood is only the transport mechanism. I mean, mm-hmm. your hormones, in particular your thyroid hormones, aren't active there. Okay. They, they actually have to be transported across the cell membrane and into the individual cells. Okay. That's for them to be active. So if there's a problem with them being transported, because it takes energy to transport things through, it makes a, a, a receptor so I'm getting into probably a little bit more detail than I need to here, but just to explain that the magic from the hormones happens in the cell, not in the bloodstream. Okay. If the hormones can't get into the cell, then they're going to start backing up into the bloodstream. And so when it's measured, it's going to look like they're normal. Okay. Right. And of course you still have all these symptoms because it's not getting into the cells and we haven't got a way really of measuring what's going on in the cells yet. In some cases we, we do, but not generally with, with that. And I think that if more doctors realized, you know, I think blood tests are a wonderful tool, but they have to be taken in context with everything else that the patient is presenting with, like their symptoms. Yeah. Um, You can't just rely on that. And, you know, to tell someone said, no, you're just not sick enough yet. We've got to wait. Yeah. Uh, So on that note, let's say, Go take care of things earlier and ask more questions and find the person that will actually listen to you. Sharon, this has been a wonderful conversation and I really hope our families have found some beautiful nuggets and things to pull out of this and make it helpful to them because I have found this helpful. I love having this discussion. Can you make sure that our parents know how to get a hold of you in case they want some more help from you? Get us a website or how, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, easiest thing is I can give you a, everyone is invited to have a, a free 20 minute consult with me where they can discuss where the major concerns are. Okay. And what I can do is provide you with the, with the booking link and they just go into that and okay. they'll find some time. That will be down have, in the show notes, everybody. So it'll be attached yeah. to this video. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if they can't find a time because there's going to be some day and time differences across, exactly yes there always is then if they can't find a, a convenient time to just send me an email and i will have that there as well and we can try and we'll just make a time Excellent. and then we can go from there okay okay is there oh, one so- last nugget that you wanted to share that we didn't get to or do you think we've kind of got it all wrapped up if you give me 10 minutes, I'd probably be able to find something, but I think that we've, we've talked around it for quite a while. And I just want to thank, thank you both because I always enjoy talking with you. It's always fascinating to give some different perspective. And you've certainly given me some other ideas about um, how I can more focus on family and how to bring family into the whole healing process because you know that's just so important. Thank you. That, that, that means a lot to us because of course that's our mission, the kids and our families and helping them grow and be successful. Matter of fact, our, 
you know, I always say at the end of my emails and Facebook, I want you to be happy, healthy, and successful. Let's make happy, healthy, successful children. Yeah. So, so it's not, oh. it's not bringing schooling home. It's bringing education yeah. home. So we're trying yeah. to educate the whole family, bring it, bring it full circle. Yeah. And it's not just about school. It's about, it's about making the whole family healthier and just using education at the educating of the children as, as that, as that impetus to, to really grow the whole family back. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I love it. All right, families and friends, thank you for listening so much. I hope you enjoyed. And like I said, got some nuggets out of our conversation with Sharon today. And until next time, we will see you later. Bye for now, everybody.